Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is not a success story. This was a premeditated crime. Welcome to Episode 5 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails, what led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Crazy Eddie. It was a bitter cold New Year's Eve, especially this one for Debbie Rosen, wife of Eddie Antar, better known as Crazy Eddie. She was joined by her sister-in-law, Ellen, who was Eddie's sister, and her other sister-in-law, Robin, the wife of Eddie's brother, both who she was endeared to and had a strong kinship with. Though they weren't blood, they'd been through thick and thin, bound by ties that were unspeakable to the outside world. Tonight was a night of celebration to everyone around, but partying was the last thing on their minds. They were on a mission, and Debbie had the most at stake. From a distance, it was Ellen that first caught wind of what they were searching for. Over there, they're over there. She scrambled, startling Debbie, who squinted and made out the image of the man she spent more than half of her life with, her childhood sweetheart, the father of their two children. Hanging on his arm was a petite, curly, blonde-haired woman wearing an expensive brown fur coat. The coat slid open as she walked, just enough for Debbie to catch a glimpse of her pink satin dress. They were laughing, walking towards the stretch limo. Despite Debbie's better judgment, she, wrought with despair, ran over to her unfaithful husband. What would ensue would be a blur from blind rage. But court testimonies reported lots of screaming, slapping, expensive furs and jewels flying. Debbie made a scene in the street that night and humiliated her husband. What is that saying? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And Eddie would soon find out the hard way just how true that statement was. That was New Year's Eve, 1984, and that street altercation, that lover's quarrel of deceit and betrayal, was the beginning of the end for the entire Crazy Eddie saga. Welcome to the story of Crazy Eddie. Plotted into existence in 1971 and bludgeoned into extinction by 1989. If you lived on the East Coast back in the 80s, you surely would have heard of Crazy Eddie. It was the hallmark of blue-collared success. 
Before there was a Best Buy, Walmart, or Fry's Electronics, Crazy Eddie built a blueprint for the consumer electronics business. This company that proliferated its branding of catchy marketing slogans and campaigns onto the TV screens of our beloved homes. Personally, my fondest memories growing up in Queens, New York, was enduring the freezing cold winters around Christmas season and seeing one of Crazy Eddie's commercials playing against the backdrop of our clanking radiator. These commercials featured the eccentric comedian Jerry Carroll, who would be manically chanting in an auctioneer-like manner, oftentimes losing his composure as he enthusiastically screams out the latest holiday sale, convincing those that their inventory of TVs, VCRs, and even telephones couldn't be undersold and wouldn't be undersold. Of course, none of the commercials would be complete without his famous sign-off, ending with the infamous line, Crazy Eddie, his prices are insane! These low-budget, kitschy commercials would later become an iconic part of American culture, satirized in various fashions on shows like Saturday Night Live, Seinfeld, and the animated comedy cartoon Futurama. But the story of Crazy Eddie was so much more than just its commercials. It was an extremely successful enterprise known for its aggressive sales techniques and heavily discounted merchandise, and of course, their ability to outprice competitors. This success also led them onto the stock markets in 1984, where it started trading at $8 per share, and within two years soared to $79 a share. And if stocks were sold on good stories, Eddie was the mastermind storyteller. But first, in order to truly understand the man behind the legend, we need to go back before the ads, the stock market, and the success. Because at the core, this was a story about family. And Crazy Eddie started out as a family-operated business run by the Ontars. The Antar clan were Syrian immigrants who migrated to America with hopes of a better life. The various generations of Antars going all the way back lived in Syria under Arab domination. And as Jews in Arab countries, we were discriminated against. We weren't allowed to be doctors, lawyers, you know, uh, contractors. The only thing we could be was peddlers. So my great-grandfather was a peddler, my grandfather was a peddler, my father was a peddler, all my uncles were peddlers. Well, you want to call them retailers, then. you know, um, they were peddlers when they came off the boat and then they became retailers, you know, uh, whatever. So retailing was always in the blood. Uh, various areas that the Sephardic uh, Assyrian Jews went into was either uh, the garment business or they went into electronics, uh, which, is a, which is a booming business. And pretty much uh, Eddie's dad, who is the patriarch of the family, the old grandchild, he started his son in the electronics business. His son, his nephew, and him in a company called ERS Electronics. That was Sam E. Antar, a.k.a. Sammy, who is first cousins with Eddie Antar. Sammy was the chief financial officer of Crazy Eddie and an instrumental piece to the rise and fall of Crazy Eddie. He added some context to the family's principles stemming from his long lineage. Culture was never to trust the government because of all those years of discrimination. Now, when most people come into America... You know, they keep some of their values from the old country and they shed most of them, they assimilate. But in some cases, you have 
people that don't always shed certain things from the old countries. They certain things that don't get assimilated. And there's deep distrust of the government, okay? And if you happen to be also dishonest and have a deep distrust of the government, okay, it's a very, very good way of sustaining a crime because you are you're dealing with family members. The bonding process is a lot different as far as your co-conspirators because they're all family members at the beginning. As Sammy explained, this was a family hinged on the distaste and distrust of the government. There was no bones about it. This was a premeditative intent to lie, cheat, and steal. And unbeknownst to the rest of the world, this family would soon be architecting one of the most crooked, villainous, deceptive scams of all time. Within the Antar family was Eddie's father, Sam, and his two brothers, Mitchell and Alan. Sam served as a patriarch of this tightly knit Antar clan, partly because he was the oldest son of the grandparents, but mainly because he was the wealthiest. The family's first electronic store started in 1969 called ERS Electronics, founded and owned by Eddie, his father, Sam, and Eddie's first cousin, Ronnie. Add up their first initials and you get ERS. It was initially quite successful. Eddie, as it turns out, was quite the charismatic entrepreneur and was known for his theatrical salesmanship. He would playfully block entrances of his stores, refusing to let customers leave until they made a purchase, and even took shoes as deposits for stereos and other merchandise. And he earned quite the reputation for cutting his prices so much that it triggered backlash with the federal guidelines. You see, consumer electronics was just burgeoning, and there was a statute called Fair Trade Laws, which meant manufacturers would set a standard price for all retailers on products to prevent them from selling at very low prices. It wasn't competitive in the early days because there was something known as fair trade, which allowed the manufacturers to set the price that their product could be sold at the retail level. So the manufacturers, like uh, in those days, it was the Japanese manufacturers, like Sony and Panasonic. If you deviated from their suggested list price, they could cut you off. In other words, everybody had to sell at the same price. And what that ensured was everybody made the same profit margin. The problem of putting that in practice, however, was that the larger chain stores, uh, which in those days were the department stores, there was no specialty electronics chains as we have today, like Best Buy. Uh, they were mostly regional if they were any specialty electronics chains back in those days. So what would happen is, is that these um, larger chains had huge advertising budgets and they would draw in the customers. And smaller mom and pop retailers like Crazy Eddie's, okay, who had cost efficiencies because they operated with, on, on shoestring budgets, they couldn't pass along those cost efficiencies in the form of discounts to consumers and they were going out of business. And what Eddie did was he summed his nose at the manufacturers and fought them in court and helped abolish, uh, was very instrumental in abolishing what was known as fair trade. And that gave him instant street credit, instant credibility. But the only reason why Crazy Eddie's was profitable as a private company because there were two phases, the private company for and the public company for. Uh, Crazy Eggs was a private company from 1969 to 1984. The only reason why we were profitable was because most customers paid in cash and we were skimming the cash sales, which included the sales tax. During the time of the fair trade dispute, Ronnie was getting nervous. 
He saw no light at the end of the tunnel and ERS was draining a lot of cash. He wanted out. So Eddie seized the opportunity to buy out his cousin to become the majority owner of ERS, making himself more powerful than his father. Little did anyone suspect that this would begin to unravel the family ties between Eddie and the rest of the Yontars. Despite Ronnie's fears, Eddie's fight did eventually prevail, and his opposition to fair trade practices made him a hero to the eyes of consumers. Once he won the battle, he changed the name from ERS Electronics and became Crazy Eddie. It was an instant overnight success story, and the company was bankrolling cash hand over fist, but it was also a criminal enterprise masking as a business. Eddie was paying his employees off the books and skimming cash off his sales to avoid sales tax. Back then, customers paid in cash and it was easy not to disclose sales and keep the sales tax, which allowed Eddie to skim millions of dollars in profits by using the register to underreport income. And between 1975 to 1980, so much cash was kept under their beds, in floorboards, and deposited overseas in Israeli banks. So how did Eddie's cousin Sammy get pulled into the family business? Well, that's a story that goes back to their childhood, as Eddie was always Sammy's hero and a ringleader from an early age. He was like the uh, the tough guy of all the uh, cousins. He was like the, uh, the the one Jewish guy that beat up the Italian kids that used to pick on the Jewish kids back in the day. In other words, he was like the Fonz. He was like you know, the guy. And, you know, Eddie was uh, very, very charismatic, and he was 10 years older than me. And he took me under his wing when I was 14 years old. I mean, my first Christmas bonus, I got a $1,500 cash bonus in 1971 at 14 years old. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it, even today it's a lot of money for a 14-year-old, but back then, you know, 40 years ago, $1,500, probably like six, $7,000 today in cash, by the way. From that moment, Sammy was hooked. He was essentially groomed to become the criminal financial mastermind behind the family business, and along with Eddie's charm and decisive leadership, they became a lethal combination. He saw that I was a nerdy kid that I liked to read the Wall Street Journal and Barron's. And also there was the Wall Street transcript that his mother used to get, but I used to go read it cover to cover. His mother used to play the stock market. And he saw, you know, he saw in me, you know, uh, he was a very ambitious guy. And he saw in me something that could be uh, part of his ambition. And that's pretty much what, what happened. It wasn't just Eddie, it was his father. It was, you know, the story's always more complicated than, than the, uh, than, than the web versions, but you know, there was a lot of people in, in, in the family involved, and I was the person that was groomed to be the financial brains behind everything. His family intentionally sent him to school to help them commit a more sophisticated crime in the future, and he was trained to be a criminal. No criminal cheats himself out of getting a good education. It's, uh, you know, I got like a 90 average on the CPA exam, which is an impossible test to cheat on. In other words, I was very, very good at getting an education so I could be a better criminal. That's me. My intentions were pure evil. By 1980, when Sammy graduated from Baruch College as a certified public accountant, his fate had already been made known. 
The family had been stealing from Uncle Sam for the past several years, and they wanted to commit the crime on a much larger scale. And the plan now was that they would steal from investors. Crazy Eddie announced that they wanted to go public, and it was now Sammy's job to legitimize the business in order to commit the bigger fraud. It became his job from 1980 to 1984 to prepare the business for the next phase. Previously, the goal had been to understate income to reap more profits, but now they had to do the opposite. In order to go public and get a higher value for their stock, they needed to overstate their profits. And Sammy, being the diligent understudy that he was, actually took the job, moonlighting as an auditor to find out exactly how auditors thought, how they analyze reports so that he can then manipulate their own financials. But as this was occurring behind the scenes, so was something else, something even more sinister. The entwining of family and business, envy and control for power. Eddie's dad was becoming more jealous, as did the rest of the family, including Eddie's brothers and his sister. The internal rivalries of greed stemming from Eddie's controlling shares of the family business now had him assuming the mantle as the de facto patriarch, and nobody was happy about that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So the family hatched a plan that sought to publicly humiliate Eddie and bring him down, which was how Eddie's wife, Debbie, found herself in that infamous street fight on New Year's Eve. You see, it was Eddie's family that tipped off Debbie and led her exactly to Eddie and his mistress, knowing very well the havoc it would ensue. Eddie, sideswiped by the betrayal of his family, vowed for vengeance, but it would have to happen at a later time because they were about to go public, and in order to do that, they needed to work together to uphold the family's public image. By 1984, the company listed their stock on the NASDAQ. The depravity of the family's unethical ways made for handsome profits. 
Their stock shot up 10 times within two years, with the Antars holding most of it. They even raised $145 million from investors, investors who had no idea just how fraudulent the business was. Wall Street was high as a kite flying off the success of Crazy Eddie. But even with all that success, there are some feelings you just can't shake. And within the Antar family, resentment was about to boil over. Desperate again to overthrow Eddie, his father convinced Debbie, now his ex-wife, to sue him for fraud. But this time, tying Eddie up in another legal battle was putting unnecessary pressure on the business, and he began to surface to the public. The polarization of the family, with Eddie and Sammy on one side against the rest of the Antar clan, began to hurt sales, and where the family used to work together as a team, now were disintegrating at the seams. And the timing couldn't have been worse, because by this time, many other mass discount retailers began emerging onto the scene. The Crazy Eddie stock began to tank. And to the horror of the Antar family, the worst thing that could have happened was about to happen right before their eyes. There was a rumor about a hostile takeover. At this time, everything was done internally and no one knew about the inner workings of the family. If there was a hostile takeover of Crazy Eddie, the new ownership would expose everything that the family had been trying to hide for the past 18 years. Eddie and Sammy had to devise a plan to thwart the hostile bidder. And they chose their white knight, a billionaire by the name of Sam Beltsberg, to outbid their rival and try and take the company private once they did, they would unload all the troubles onto the Beltsburg family and blame the merger for all the financial troubles that would be uncovered. But that plan would never happen, because by the end of the summer of 1987, Crazy Eddie fell into the hands of new owners who had taken the company by surprise. We were a victim of our own fraudulent success. People bought Crazy Eddie thinking it was a gold mine, and that's what the problem was. Because it was a public company, we didn't have enough stock to stop uh, a hostile uh, takeover. Nine days later, the jig was up, along with about $40 million in inventory fraud. And if that wasn't enough to put the nail in the coffin, two buddies of Eddie's brothers, who were also former employees of the store, reported him to the SEC and pinned Eddie and Sammy as their fall guys for the entire family operation. Eddie fled the country and escaped authorities for almost two years with funds he had stashed away, but was eventually caught in 1992 where he pleaded guilty to one charge of racketeering conspiracy doing almost seven years of jail time. Sammy, who testified against Eddie, received four months of house arrest. They never spoke again. In 2016, it was reported that Eddie had died. He was 68 years old. You don't have to believe in God to read the Bible. But if you read the first chapter of the Bible, which is Genesis, okay, you have the snake in the garden uh, deceiving Eve into eating the apple. In other words, manipulating her behavior. So really, the first profession wasn't prostitution. It was fraud. People will always take advantage of each other. When he passed, Larry Weiss, who had once helped craft those famous commercials, spoke about Eddie. He said... He was a character, you know, he was very charming, charismatic, powerful, and, and decisive. 
he was a very cool guy. But then again, he had a dark side. Which was appropriate, because Eddie was always regarded as the Darth Vader of capitalism. You've seen the movie, you've read the book, you've got the t-shirt, now experience it for yourself. Crazy Eddie's Christmas and August TV and video blowout blitz. Crazy Eddie's going to save you a blizzard of bucks on TVs, VCRs, anything and everything in TV and video. Remember, we are not undersold, we will not be undersold, we cannot be undersold, and we mean it. It's Crazy Eddie's Christmas and August TV and video blowout blitz. See Crazy Eddie now, his prices are insane. Thanks for listening to The Great Fail, a program that spotlights some of the most infamous case studies and failed businesses, brands, and ideas, and goes beyond that to garner lessons and wisdom so that we can all learn from the greatest mistakes. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit thegreatfail.com to access show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content. If you have a question about your business or have an idea or startup and need expert advice, please send your questions to advice at thegreatfail.com and you may be featured on an upcoming episode with our network of expert advisors to help you get the answers you're looking for. And remember, with great failure comes great liability. I must-